0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Interstate Battery retail stores all over the United States. So whether you need a a new truck battery which by the way, I've heard that they are some of the best in the automotive industry, right? A truck battery, a car battery. If you need batteries for something as simple as a remote control or a unique battery for a range finder or one of your children's toys, uh, interstate batteries not only has those batteries available. If they don't have them, they can order them for you. Or if you need to find out more about a specific battery battery or the specs of a specific battery, stop into their retail store and talk with a battery specialist. These guys are very knowledgeable about what products they offer and what it is that you need for whatever battery you're looking for. So stop in to a local retail store or visit interstatebatteries.com to learn more about their company, the batteries that they offer, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So check out interstatebatteries.com interstate batteries outrageously dependable do not skip the pre-roll we have
1: got special discount codes included in the pre-roll that you can use during this christmas season you're going to want to pay attention to that check out the pre-roll time to dump the box This is the Houndsman XP Podcast.
0: Good dog, get that bear.
1: Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. So how many days how many days a week can you spend on
2: As much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there.
1: Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll
0: tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here.
1: What is on your holiday menu? Are you going to bring home a possum, stuff it with uh, some sweet potatoes, and serve it to your family? Are you eating the critters that you kill? Well, in this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, the team sits down and we discuss what we're eating, why we're eating it, and is it a fad, is it a new cultural trend, is it an old tradition? Uh, We're bringing all that back and we're going to open that up and discuss everything to do with the uh, culture of eating wild game. There are a lot of laughs in this podcast, a lot of fun we had making it, but we're also going to have some serious talks about uh, some of the hazards of eating wild game, such as trichinosis and some of the precautions you should take before you throw that critter on the plate and, and belly up to it at the table. So you're really going to enjoy this episode. We had a lot of fun making it. Before we get there, I want to tell you all Merry Christmas. We've got a lot of exciting news, but we have hit over 250,000 downloads since the Houndsman XP podcast started. And we're at about a year and a half. So thank you to every one of you, our listeners, for making that possible. And right now through December 31st of this year, we are offering discount codes. We're opening up all our discount codes to you, our listeners. You've made this a success and we want to pay you back. So dogs are treed. We are going to give you that Patreon code and also for stick bow outdoors. And we're going to give you our Patreon code there. You don't have to be a member of Patreon. We really would appreciate it. If you'd go to our Patreon site, go to houndsmanxp.com, click the support button, join us on Patreon. You get pro tips, you get videos, you get a lot of bonus, bonus, uh, topics. You get tailgate talks and, um, we really want you to join us there if you if you have the means or the desire to support this podcast. But you don't have to be a Patreon supporter right now in order to take advantage of our discount codes. So when you go to dogsartreed.com and you enter items in your cart at checkout, you're going to enter the code PATREON20, all uppercase PATREON20, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. 20, P-A-T-R-E-O-N Two zero at checkout is going to get you a twenty percent discount on all things at Dogs Are Treated, including the revolutionary Paws Are Protected. Build your pack from the ground up. You can get your supply of Paws Are Protected at Dogs Are Treated at a twenty percent discount with the code Patreon twenty. Go to Stick Bow Outdoors as well if you're looking for a gift for the houndsman in your life. Buy them the Hound Log Journal, uh, the Hound Journal, and also their Medical Records book. Both of these items are high class items. They're very uh, appealing to the eye. Stickbow Outdoors did a great job of putting this thing together. You can log every hunt that you take. You can keep track of, of the medical records for your hounds in these two great books. And you can Enjoy that code, that discount of 20% with the code Patreon20. This one is all lowercase, P A T R E O N 20, lowercase, at checkout. Check them out at stickbowoutdoors.com. One last request with that 20% you're saving on those items, go to freedomhunters.org and make a donation. America's warriors have paid such a great price for our freedoms in this country and we enjoy them every time we turn a hound loose so go to freedomhunters.org right now in this christmas season make a donation to this great organization taking warriors back to the field from field to field donate as a family sit this is an opportunity for you to sit down with your kids and teach them about patriotism agree as a family to donate a portion of your christmas budget to a great organization like Freedom Hunters. And you can find out how to do that at freedomhunters.org. Make your Christmas season complete by donating to an organization that supports the Warriors that has secured our freedom to celebrate Christmas. Before we get started with the podcast, I just want to say it again. Thank you so much for your support and thank you for spending your time with Houndsman XP. that's something that probably that's why i would bring my own rig
3: oh no oh yeah
1: are you scared
3: of are you scared of i was a driving
1: instructor no i was a driving instructor for several years emergency driving i can drive wheels off of most things but
3: yeah you don't like being a passenger
1: i was always a passenger
3: Oh, we're perfectly fine. He's just not used to it. It's all flat ground, yeah. right? He's just not used to flying across pasture. So, I mean, he just got scared. Everyone it, else was fine. It would have <laughs> to be, I mean, it would be like,
1: it, it's, I don't know. Lauren, what do you think? I mean, putting your life in Seth's hands. That's very hurtful. I mean,
2: <laughs> as long as there's a place to grab on.
3: Yeah, there's rails everywhere, and you're buckled in.
1: You know, so.
2: I... I I don't have a choice. I don't have a reg to bring. So. Do you have
1: Do you have like a five point racing harness, or is this just like the standard factory lap belt with the shoulder harness? That yeah,
3: but I mean, did you watch the video, Chris? I haven't watched the video. Hey, well, if you watch it, that's as wild as it gets. Yeah, it's I mean, not
2: wild. Yeah, exactly. It is, it's so, just bumpy. it is so flat. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's just bumpy. He's all scared. He's old though. It's like that
2: meme where the the army trucks are going over the bumps. It's like riding to my favorite hunting spot. Yeah. It's like that, but sped up times like a thousand. Cool.
3: (laughs) (laughs) At no point were we faster than fifty.
1: Fifty miles an hour driving blind across a prairie in tall grass.
3: No. Let let me tell you
1: let me tell you a story. Okay. So Uh, yeah buddy of mine's got a can-am and another buddy of mine was riding with him and they were they were flying back through this field it was flat it was all cool you know it's like oh no problem but my the passenger says hey uh you want me to let me kind of walk out through there before you go tearing through there to make sure that there isn't anything sticking up because they were looking they were going to recover a deer and uh the other one's like no it'll be fine i've driven through here before they're driving down through there in his Can Am, and there was a a steel T post fence post Ooh. that was bent over, and it jammed up through the floorboard on the passenger side, and was like three inches away from just going impaling the
3: my other buddy right through the chest. Holy shit! Yeah. So. Before before you um before you get too many terrified fantasies in your head, watch that video and you'll see this is New Mexico desert. You see like ninety nine percent of the ground. It's all huh. clump grass. If this I was dri- like,
1: if I was driving, it would be cool. I'd drive fifty miles an hour across it. But when I'm riding with somebody else, it's like, nah, I don't trust you.
3: Yeah, that's how a lot of people get. <laughs> no, it's, it's you're not alone. The thing is that uh um where we hunt we're only allowed one vehicle so you can drive i'll just take pictures <laughs> yeah. but, you know but, the, fun, yeah.
1: the funny thing is when i used to train recruits and stuff um you know you'd have them out on their field training next and man those guys we'd be romping they'd get an emergency call and they'd be drive, trying to drive the speed limit because you know i'm there as an evaluator so they're trying to drive the speed limit with their lights and siren on it's like what are you doing You know, the only thing you got to just show due regard at intersections the rest of the time. And and while you're driving, you know, you got to show due regard for public safety. Can't drive reckless, but you can't drive. You can't have people passing you either when you got lights and sirens on. That's just embarrassing. So, (laughs) but there were some times when it was like, holy crap. I can't believe we lived through that. But I always kept my mouth shut. And then I evaluated later. It's like, okay, so how do you feel about your driving right there? It's like. It's kind of fast, it's like, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was real fast. Yeah, so when you drive, you're supposed to drive at 85% of your ability when you're emergency driving. You never drive above 85 because then it gives you 15% for air.
3: When you'll see, it's not as bad as you think. Oh, Watch I that think video. It's bad. I'm just giving you a bunch of crap, yeah, yeah, you'll love it. It's wild, man. And that's what yep. Paul is saying at the end, he's like. The first one, I don't know, I was pretty scared. He's like, the second one, ah, it's good, and I'm glad because his dog did a front flip, catch in the rabbit. It was freaking awesome. Yeah. Lauren, did did you see the end of the video?
2: Uh, no, it started buffering, and I was like, oh, I'll pull this up later on the big screen.
3: Oh yeah, dude, the end is so sweet. It the the first half is kind of lame. My buddy didn't really know how to film yet, so he'll get there. He'll get there. But anyway, I'm excited for today's episode. This is a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. What are we talking about?
1: Uh, food. Oh, food? Animal food. Animal food? Or animals, animals food. as food? Animals, animals as food. <laughs> Yeah. Animals. Hey, before we get there, let me look something up here real quick. Because we have got to make a correction. And i got to find this guy's name. Super, super cool dude. He's from South Africa. So we have listeners in South Africa. And, um... Which I think is my
2: cousin's co- in South Africa right now. Is well, he that's where His po- wife is from.
1: Is no. he listening to the podcast? No. Why not? He could
2: they be don't. listening to
1: his cousin Lauren.
2: <laughs> yeah, they don't jive. Jive <laughs> with uh, what I'm doing, I don't think.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's cool that we've got listeners from around the globe, and I also think it's really, really cool when our listeners reach out and correspond with us. and love uh, uh, Yep. Yep. So, this is from uh, Gavin, and I'm going to misspell his name. It's L I P J E S. So I'm going to say Lipius. Gavin Lipius says, right. "Hi, Chris. Really enjoy your podcast, and gratefully pick up some new knowledge. Or or am pleased when some of my own observations and experiences are confirmed by others. Listen to your insert about barometric pressure, and wanted to share." how closely we monitor this when tracking in Africa. It is a huge impact for the scenting ability uh, during the time of tracking, but also very important to have knowledge of the pressure conditions at the stage when the scent was deposited. A friendly correction. And this is where you get that Homer Simpson moment because this is obvious and we just totally screwed it up. But it's just really common sense. He's he's spot on. It says, a friendly correction. A low pressure is rising air. High pressure is sinking air. Low is bad for scent. High is good. The Garmin Alpha, this is what I thought was really cool too. The Garmin Alpha 100 has a function that displays barometric pe- pressure. But I wear, he wears some kind of Sunto watch that shows a 48 hour graph, the pressure history, which is very helpful to understand the hound behavior during tracking. So we had it completely backwards and it seemed like it should have made sense. It was making sense of my, my hillbilly brain when I said it, even though, even before the podcast I, I researched it, I just had it backwards. So low pressure, the the amount of air pushing down on the point that it's measured is not as heavy and high pressure, there's more pressure pushing down at the point of measurement. So it totally makes sense that yeah. <laughs> that high pressure is so pushing he, air down.
2: Yeah, so he says there's something on the Alpha 100.
1: Yes, and I haven't looked for it yet.
2: I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I've got my 200 in my hand right now. Uh, I don't even know where you'd, where you'd look.
1: I don't either. Huh. Yeah, but that's I a, d- a
3: very important correction.
2: Maybe that's definitely. a... Yeah.
3: Yeah cause, yeah.
1: Cause we were talking about high pressure, you know, then, then, uh, you know, high pressure we were, I had it in my mind. The reason I got it flipped around is one, because I just had it flipped around, but, but high pressure, I was thinking, well, the, you know, it's higher in the atmosphere, so it's going to go up. And, and, um, uh, Man, that, I really appreciate Gavin reaching out to us and letting us that's, yeah. have that correction. But I'm sure that's not the only one that we've ever made.
3: But No, I got a friendly one, too. And I was like, duh. I, like, misspoke. And it's when you're on the fly. Me and Lauren were once talking about uh, um, uh, house fires being caused by people's oil catching on fire. And uh, me and Lauren were like, yeah, just carry it outside. Like, don't pour water on it. And the dude was like, "Don't ever carry it outside because it's splattering everywhere." He's right. like, "Don't." He's like, "I'll just put a lid on it and let it go out on its own." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Duh!" I freaking knew that. Like, I felt like it done. So maybe while we're on the on the we trust
1: you. We trust you. Yeah.
2: Case. Go ahead. Just, go ahead, Lauren. It was just lit. <laughs> I was yeah. just saying it wasn't. It wasn't splattering. It was just lit. He's said, yeah. like
3: a lot of people panic and spill the burning oil, like on the way out, or slip oh, or whatever.
1: Yeah, so, so you trust you trust your trust us with the knowledge about the uh, scent hounds and and uh, side hounds, but don't trust us with house fires.
3: <laughs> hey, I'm a houndsman, not a firefighter. Damn it!
1: Oh. <laughs> Well, speaking of fires and kitchen fires and everything else, we're going to have a few kitchen fires today on the podcast, I think. And um, I think uh, we're going to, I want to dive into that conversation about eat or not to eat. That's the question. And um, I think this is going to be an interesting topic. Totally and I, threw, I trolled for some comments on the internet uh, or on social media a couple weeks ago. And that was kind of interesting. For one, um it sparked a lot of interest. And um uh the other thing is the topic actually got somebody uh booted out of our group cause they can't keep spe- their
2: their filter on for What happened?
3: What happened? I didn't see that. You just swore.
2: Like, I didn't hear I didn't see his comment after you said keep it clean or whatever.
3: Well, I mean, yeah, it
1: was one of those deals. It was. Um, there's one word. There's one word. If you watch the Christmas Story, have you ever seen the Christmas Story?
3: That movie no. where you've <laughs> yeah. never watched the Christmas Story. I got a confession to make, guys. I've seen like 12 movies in my whole life, start to finish. <laughs> it's pretty. Lauren, imp- let's, let you talked, and I talk more. Like a dog.
1: Let's talk. Let, let's just exclude Seth from this conversation right now. <laughs> uh, anyway, there's the one magic word that that uh, you know is not acceptable in most circles. And and we try to run a group that is clean and fam, so that if you know somebody's sitting there and looking at pictures with with their fourth grader on the internet or on social media, that that they can do that without the fear of somebody screwing up the whole post. Mm-hmm. So, and it's right in our rules, you know. There's two rules, no profanity, and don't try to sell stuff on our site. It's pretty simple. What? And I even gave him the opportunity to, uh, to change it. I said, edit it or say goodbye. And then he went off again, so. He he made his decision. Was it the c word? Uh, that's a pretty good one, though. But it was the it was the more common yeah. f word. The f bomb. Okay, the yeah, f bomb. <laughs> Dropping the f bomb on gotcha. the Houndsman XP podcast group is not acceptable. C-mon. So,
3: yep, yep, yep.
1: I don't know. I mean, if you can't if you can't respond to a a post.
2: It's easy to not use it. We'll put it that way. It really
3: is. Yeah, it's easy to not be an animal. But for some people, it's not. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But most most people that I know that are pretty fluent in uh, the F-bomb can have enough sense
3: not to use it. At certain times. You know
1: what I mean? Well,
2: I'm, I'm super being fluent in that word, unfortunately. Yeah, and
3: Lauren, I mean, <laughs> we're pretty vulgar on just like normal speak, but not online and not in a professional manner. You don't go into your job talking like an animal sailor. Like, yeah. Hi. I'd like to marry your... Hey, my name's Seth, and I'd like to marry
1: <laughs> your daughter. That's yeah. not the time to be used in the F-bomb. <laughs> exactly.
3: You yeah. know? That's not it. Yeah. Exactly. People Hi, are
1: just I'm, my name is Lauren, s- and I'm a professional. This is a nice effing place you got here.
3: <laughs> you're hired, you're hired. Yeah, Come I mean, on. people are have a lot of some people just have the social intelligence of like a baboon, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah,
1: but we don't so, have yeah. many problems at all. On the I,
3: I agree, I don't, I don't
1: think I haven't hardly deleted ever deleted a, a comment on our group. So, kudos to our listeners and our houseman, but. At any rate, um, so we were trolling the way that the way we got sidetracked on that is I was trolling for some answers and, uh, people were kind of vague and they pretty much just talked about what types of game that they ate. And, um, you know, the, the, I want to talk about the kind of a new trend that I'm seeing in, uh, the hunting community about what to eat and why people eat and what they're eating. And, uh, it's it's a a deal where uh i just i want to boil it down and find out find out why people are eating eating raccoons and and possums and anything else that they shoot.
3: That well, sounds good. Let's get to it. I love it. I read your notes and I kind of wrote some things down but because i spend a lot of time talking to people that don't hunt or have like very left-wing views, so i've had a lot of talks about this exact topic to people that are completely outside of the hunting community and drive a lot of these like kind of progressive trends in general. So
1: well I think yeah. the, I think the first place to start is that it's a cultural thing in the yeah. in the new hunting community. You mm-hmm. know uh Fred Bear never talked about eating raccoons and possums and yeah. and all that other right. stuff. But I know that you know back during the Depression my great grandmother would cook a possum for the family, but that was because they needed food. Okay, yeah. it wasn't something that was yeah, just like, that... "Oh, guess what we're having tonight? We're having the we're having the neighbors over. I'm going to eat a possum. They're going to love it."
3: <laughs> Let's not burn up good conversation. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Let's roll. Well, <laughs> I'm
1: doing it right now. So I think the first thing is it's a cultural thing where people are trying to justify justify hunting with if I if I kill it, if I if I can't eat it, I shouldn't kill it.
3: hmm hmm You know, it it my dad has been telling me that since I started hunting when I could carry a Red Rider BB gun. If you can't, if you won't eat it, don't shoot it. But he never really enforced it. Because we just like my uncle would give me a nickel for every blackbird we shot because mm-hmm. they got in his cow food. So it was like I don't know like I think I think like buried in the ethos of everybody knows that eating what you kill is right but at the same time it's not like blackbirds are gross you know what I mean so like they're not Now being that being said I didn't really get super adventurous with eating crazy quote-unquote crazy stuff until I was in my mid-20s and I mean I've tried virtually everything you can imagine in New Mexico kangaroo rats roadrunners snakes coyotes you know like all kinds of stuff and uh i'm just glad i was armed with um the internet to kind of help me out because some of those animals can be really sketchy to eat and uh, i think there's a lot of like historic historic precedents set in for how to like what animals are taboo and what animals are safe to eat and
1: Yeah, Lauren let's get your take I want to hear your take on it Because you're the one that really inspired this whole thing Posting pictures <laughs> of cooking <laughs> raccoons
2: Hey I haven't I don't think I've posted any pictures Like actually cooking them recently But you know shared some funny stuff On Facebook or something um, So you know I'm a fairly new hunter And people in my family Before me didn't hunt So I I never grew up eating wild game or anything like that. So I started hunting and my mentor and good friend and basically grandpa, uh, Max, you know, he's 80 something. So, and he grew up really, really poor. So they had to actually eat these critters in order to survive. Raccoon, possum, squirrel, woodchuck, whatever it was. Um, but that kind of made me curious and, you know, I, I, shot this raccoon and I saw this really interesting and made it look a good recipe mm-hmm. online. Uh, I think it was last year or the year before. And it's called brined bandit. And it was a recipe on outdoor life.
3: That is awesome. No yeah. kidding.
2: Yeah. Um, and it was it, it, this, the recipe had like a thousand ingredients and steps is very complicated. Would I recommend it if you've got time? <laughs> <laughs> What's um, that mean
1: if you've got time is um, it is it complicated
2: it's very it's very complicated like it's you know bra- braised or oven and then you braise it and there's beer involved in the braising and like everything has beer different involved in Wisconsin. and there's the brining <laughs> beforehand and there it it was a lot of steps and it, it was crazy. It was good. It made the raccoon taste like lamb um but anyway so well, why my reason to eat lamb? <laughs> you know what I, that'd be a lot easier honestly raccoons <laughs> are never mind the recipe but raccoons are just horrible not horrible just tedious to clean and and break down and everything so my take on it is at least from the raccoon standpoint is a i wanted to see what it tasted like what you know shooting all these things out. I might as well just see what it's all about. You know, when people talk about it. Um, I did feel an obligation to eat it. Not every single one or anything like that, but I'm like, you know, I've got all these resources, you know, why don't I just just eat it? And I don't eat a whole lot of meat in general. Um
1: But when I do
2: I But when I do it's reactive. Yeah. <laughs> um So it was like, yeah, I kind of felt guilty. Uh, I wanted to see what it was like. And like, no one's pressuring me to eat it or anything. So, you know, I'm not giving into peer pressure. Uh, What I, I probably will now cook for myself, like one a year. The dogs really like it. Mm
0: -hmm. But
2: honestly, for me, it's like way too much work. It is just way too much work. Um, the best thing, so I've done raccoon like a couple different ways and I've had it a couple different ways, but the best way, honestly, that I've had it, um, and people at the coon club tried it who normally would not even eat raccoon was raccoon jerky that Andrea made actually. And Mm. that was the best. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was, yeah, like Cajun flavor. I'm not sure she, Some seasoning, probably from Cabela's or something. Um, So that was the best way that I've had it. But as far as raccoon is concerned, it was a see if I like it. Is it worth it? Kind of feel an obligation, but now I'm like, eh, who cares? If I have the time, I'll break some down and cook the legs for the dogs. If not, you know, whatever. Well, do you Uh,
1: you think it's kind of a fad? Am I the do I? Am I misreading this? I think is it kind of a fad right now. No, like I'm just talking about. Or, yeah, I'm just talking about hunting. You know, eating eating animals in in general. Um, is it a fad with some of the current media and it's culture social out there?
2: Pressures. Yeah, I think a lot of it is is social pressure. Like, well, then why are you even hunting? It's just one way for some people to justify why they're hunting so i was talking to someone the other day saying like oh yeah well i might go shoot a mountain lion this winter and they're like why like what would you do with it and i'm like well i'd eat it and i'd you know get the hide tanned or whatever and it just was like why do i even have to explain this Mm -hmm. you know tangentially
3: Uh, that that kind of like opens a whole nother can of worms because I agree with you, Chris, I I think, you know, modern views on hunting have evolved so much compared to like, you know, the rebirth of American outdoorsmanship post-World War II. And I think armed with the knowledge that we have today, we can venture out and eat animals that traditionally weren't viewed as food because we know like, for instance, like I was saying earlier, some animals Or taboo culturally to eat because they harbor diseases that aren't exactly the most fun to have. Raccoons have a lot of icky stuff that live in their body that can make humans very, very sick if we don't cook them properly. But now we know get the internal temperature up to 160 for at least a minute and a half to kill trichinosis, you know, leptospirosis, all these other diseases that they have. And with that, it allows us to kind of be more adventurous with our food and and I like like Lauren was saying it is a lot of work to to break down such a small animal for a meal and I I guess the answer is yes and no at least from my take for the fad is it fad because like a mountain lion it's it is kind of a justification thing I I suppose although tangentially mountain lion meat is amazing and when I was at the New Mexico Houndsman Association's uh, night hunt event our friend Rick cooked up some mountain lion and it was awesome so. Yes, they're good to eat. You can totally eat them, but you just need to know that when you, and Rick was explaining, which made me very happy, but you got to cook mountain lion meat up to 160 because they commonly have trichinosis. So like I think it's a way to make hunting very palatable to people, both literally and metaphorically, but it's really complicated because like my game animal is a rabbit. Hares have been eaten for millennia. they are delicacies in part of the world, but have you eaten a jackrabbit before, Chris?
1: I've never eaten a jackrabbit. I've never killed a jackrabbit, but I ate well, a snowshoe hare last week.
2: You said was, it's not good for your jackrabbit, Seth, just because of all the, you know, stress that they go through or whatever when the dogs are running them down. The lactic acid and all that that makes them tough and nasty.
3: So, so yeah, like that's the thing I was gonna get to is like conditions of life, conditions of death, and like what what they were up to when they were alive, but. But, yeah, like, people think jackrabbits are, like, disgusting, and they're inedible. And they kind of picked up that reputation from the Great Depression because people ate them because they had to. And that's also, a, That's
1: yeah. a, a whole, you know, that, that is some place I'm i glad you brought that up. You know, people ate certain things on the frontier. When we went through survival school, you know, you eat whatever you can catch in your snare. And, you know, I've eaten field mice and, you know, little roasted field mice on a stick and, and stuff like that. I've eaten raccoon. I've never eaten possum, but you know, when you're talking about ethical, if you're, if you're not going to, if you're not going to eat it, don't pull the trigger. But what about, what about pulling the trigger on a hound and you send him out there and the next thing you know, he's, he's got a possum gutted in the creek And in essence, you just pulled the trigger when you sent your hound out there. And now you've got a dead possum on your hands. And do you have an ethical dilemma? I mean, I don't personally. I've, I've walked on, I was, okay, here's the story. I was walking through this real thick grown-up pasture. This farmer had let it go, but he still had it fenced. And there were, there were like inch and a half maple trees growing up like four inches apart through this thing. And I was walking down a path and I smelled something that was just, I mean, disgusting. And I kept walking up a little and I find this dead cow all bloated up. And here's the old grinner sitting right on top of him, <laughs> just getting ready, you know. And he'd been, he was all slimy and covered in guts and everything else. And guess where he had been? Inside that dead cow. Do I feel obligated to eat that possum or any possum after that? No, I don't. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I like I've never tried it either, but for some reason I just really like those animals.
1: Do what? I just
2: really like opossums, yeah.
1: Oh, they're interesting animals. They really are, yeah, but, but I
2: think they're super cool.
1: But they're yeah, they're
3: <laughs> Yeah, we can so, make so a whole show pigs? about opossums. What? What about but pigs? Pigs are vile creatures. They're nasty, man. Those things will eat anything. I saw one devouring a rotten deer. I've seen them I've seen them eat each other after you shoot one, leave it lay, which again well, yeah, gets back apper- to our conversation.
2: Apparently and you can throw a dead body in there and it'll be gone yeah, the next day. Really Fried green tomatoes. Yeah.
3: I shot this pig and the guy I was with was like, No, 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 just leave it there. Um, they'll come back and eat it. And I was like, No, what? Like, you kind of yank at my chain. Come back hours later, they had totally like disemboweled it and started eating her. And mm-hmm. I was like, dude, you were just hanging out anyway. So pigs are gross. They're really just as omnivorous, opportunistic, and disgusting as a raccoon or an opossum, but yet we love eating pork. Sure. Like, you know, it's it's a it's a really like um, nuanced thing because obviously animals that are risky to eat and also live a pretty wretched lifestyle are amazingly delicious to eat. Look at shrimp and crabs. Oh yeah. Undersea scavengers. Sure. Nasty as heck, and they're delicious.
1: They're so good. Look at chickens chickens are horrible you know a lot of it goes back to it's a biblical concept it goes all the way back to the first century a.d and you can trace it all the way back to the book of acts in the new testament when peter had his dream because the jewish people felt that some animals were unclean to eat and some animals were blessed by god and so in
2: certain parts of the animal
1: Yes, in certain parts of the animal. I mean, it was, so it was very legalistic about what, and it's still true today, you know, Jewish people still hold on to that, that tradition or that, that law, and they believe it's a law from God of what they can eat and what they can not eat. And Gentiles or Christians broke away from that. But do you know what I'm talking about? Peter had the dream about, you know, eating animals and God said, come and eat and it's okay. And, and all that stuff in his vision that I think that's where a lot of it comes from. So now we put rules on ourselves about what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat. This is nasty. This is not, you know, I've got friends that won't eat liver, a hmm. beef liver, you know, and I'm just like, slice that, you know, slice that stuff up and. Let's eat.
2: I wouldn't have three years, three or four years ago, even though my parents will eat like beef and chicken livers and um, pate. And I finally started eating like pate, at least (laughs) the Wisconsin Supper Club life. Um, But like I think a lot of it, too, is like family tradition. However, you've grown up Uh, and if things get passed down or not and how strong that that stays in your family Um, and then that goes back to, you know, tradition and everything. Okay. These animals were good to eat, you know, all through the early Americas and all that. And then all of a sudden now someone decides it's not, is that because other animals are just easier and why are they more palatable? Like why, why a deer, why chicken that lives a crappy life in a, you know, poop infested barn?
1: Oh, my chickens are free range.
2: You know, like
3: you were saying, Chris, getting back. Well, well, you're just an organic farmer. I'll give you a stamp on your, on your chicken. You know, that kind of goes back to what you were saying, Chris, about the biblical times. Is those people didn't understand foodborne illness like we do today. No, and not so at all. And so it's not kosher to eat pork because, in that area of the world, especially in the Middle East, trichinosis spiralis is really bad. Like yep. that's a real bad problem. And so by just making that non-kosher. We don't eat that. That animal is "quote unquote" unclean. Mm-hmm. That's just a way to protect the population from an illness they don't understand at that time.
2: It was, it was a trial and error situation.
3: Yeah. Well, every every way humans learn is and, you know, it's like and, every and time we the, ate a pig, somebody got the
1: craps and died.
3: Yeah. Man. Exactly.
1: Let's not eat pigs. Let's not. So, let's like, make a
3: rule. Nobody eats pigs. Bingo. And so, like <laughs> those last those traditions obviously last for millennia. And it, so, I guess the question you were posing earlier is. Is it okay, and, and this is, if it's a not religious or, or some kind of like religious creed, if it's just like whatever other people that are just experimenting with meat that isn't against, is taboo to eat, whatever. Is it okay now to like reclassify raccoons as something that are good to eat? Because historically we don't eat non-hoofed animals because they harbor too many diseases. Carnivorans in general, we don't view as food from those extremely ancient kind of views on meat. And so mm-hmm. now we understand, oh, it's just a a little tiny worm that lives in their muscles. Cook it to one sixty you're fine, so yeah, it's a really good question, and it's a ethics are a tough one to tackle because ethics you know vary person to person, and everyone is entitled to an ethical view of morality that kind of goes by their own compass it's It's a tough one to say. I do think the needle is definitely moving towards eating and being more adventurous and inventive with what we hunt we have more access to ingredients um, recipes information and ideas from others and safety information cooking methods. to make to, yeah to make these animals that were once we don't know why eating a raccoon makes me barf a lot we just won't eat raccoons but now we know oh you just that's leptospirosis yo you just need to cook it at this temperature for this long and you'll be perfectly fine yeah, you know, and, it's and, and like
2: hunters now trying to be foodies.
3: What yeah, you, what do you
2: mean? Animals. Say,
1: explain that, Lauren.
2: Well, you know, we want to—not that we want to—but sometimes we feel we need to justify what we're cooking, so we come up with all these super beautiful ways to cook and display our catches or our kills. Not in my house. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Crock-pop, like baby. <laughs> make it
2: like make it appetizing, um, you know, and that's that whole Instagram lifestyle too. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. You, maybe, I think that might contribute to it. Um, maybe
3: <laughs> I don't think you're wrong for sure. I've seen that. Like I've seen a lot of people that, but in the same way, that actually makes me happy. I'm glad people are doing that because when I see someone be like, "Check out this like opossum braised." like back rib with like parsley leaves and us, you know how like fancy food shows they like do the right. little sauce spritz on the table, like or on the plate. I like that. That's super cool and fun. I think I, I don't know. I dig. Like this the, doesn't
2: look like possum I'm like, this totally looks like something I would eat. I,
3: I'm <laughs> Admittedly, I'm the exact opposite because in my house, the only meat in my house is what I harvest myself. So I, admittedly, I'm one of these people, not the fancy food people, but just like I eat a lot of weird animals because I live in a state and I have a skill set to allow me to do that. But the point I'm trying to make is, listen, all listeners, Crock-Pot is your best friend. You could take a chunk of the most heinous cow carcass opossum and put it in a Crock-Pot with onions, garlic, and a little bit of like your favorite sauces. Put that bad boy on low, come back six hours later. That's some fine dining right there. Shred that up, put it in some tacos. put it in some You burritos. know it's going to
2: get hot enough.
3: Yeah, oh. 225 for 6 hours could like, you know, you could you could kill a wild boar in Chernobyl and put it in a crock pot. <laughs>
2: come back six. So hours radio, radioactive material yeah. just disappears in the right. crock pot.
3: The crock pot right. will denuclearify, him, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you better yeah. put a
1: disclaimer on that one. Oh, You
3: know, the other thing, t-
1: the other thing maybe. Uh, you know, reaching here but, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about scent and scenting and things like that. And we talked about, you know, familiar smells evoking, uh, you know, bringing out emotions in people. And so, you know, some of these animals, when you're, they're not the cleanest, they're not the most pleasant smelling animals when you're cleaning them and things like that. And a lot of times or people are just like, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not going to cook
2: the raccoon outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and I know people that say the same thing about, you know, wild hogs. Don't cook it in the house. You know, my wife thinks the same thing about fish. I've I always cooked fish outside cuz it permeates the house, but mm-hmm. I don't mind mm-hmm. the smell, but I mean, a lot of times people are are sitting there and they're they're doing this and and they're cleaning an animal and it's like, "Man, I don't think I can eat that," you know? Yep. Or somebody is standing by watching somebody else do it. I can tell you this, if if Americans were living closer to the farm and knew where their meat came from they would get past a lot of that we live a we live a very luxurious lifestyle where you know they've never been to a, a chicken processing plant or killed a chicken themselves and so they'll eat chicken all day long 10,000%
3: agree yeah
1: so I mean it's kill, yep.
2: killing my first chicken a.k.a. my rooster that was eye opening <laughs> <laughs> and i was like
3: yours went a little worse than normal though
2: (laughs) well and then i get i get them dead and i'm like how do you how how do you gut a chicken like i didn't i I didn't even know because i've only like done it to a raccoon
1: does youtube edit that out are you allowed to look at do they allow that video on youtube or
3: is that something that they no you can watch start to finish processing videos of, like, oh, yeah. people doing full-size, like, cows and pigs. I mean, they whack it in the head with a hammer and cut its throat. Isn't oh, it yeah.
1: crazy, though? I mean, what social media has allowed to be, be out there in the public eye and what's not? I mean, that surprises me that that is even acceptable. It's got to be flagged I, for graphic content.
2: I think it's flagged for graphics. I know I tried to watch some, like, chicken processing videos, and they... I think it was the people who created the video just cut out the, the gruesome parts, either knowing that it's not going to be available to be watched or I don't know. It's like, people can't handle it.
3: Yeah. Like, okay, we're watching
2: a video about chicken processing. Like why can't we just show the whole process?
3: You know, I'll go back. I'm going to loop this back to the fad. You know, maybe it is this, like there's, there is been a huge resurgence of people wanting to get back to like farm to fork. You know, a lot of people want to eat more locally. People that right. want to like kind of learn to do this on their own. And I applaud them. I, I put on three butchering courses a year. So like I go to Texas, um, or, or local farmers, it depends on what I'm doing, but I'll get some, some pigs and I'll bring them to my home. I'll cut them in half. Well, kill them first, put them, cut them <laughs> down, the, cut them in half down the spine um, with a Sawzall, you know, and skin them. And then I'll have people come over to my house and I'll teach everyone how to break a pig down however they want. So I also put on once a year, I do a slaughtering course where I bring a goat, pig, or small cow to my house, whatever I can find on Craigslist, and <laughs> bring it to my house. And I have two people, only two, because I want it to be very small, intimate class so that they can learn and everyone can get a, bu- a bunch of meat. And we're going to do the whole step from the beginning to the end. We're going to kill it, drain it, Hang it, skin it, butcher it, everything. And everyone is really excited. But most of these people have never, ever, ever done this in their life. And a lot of people are very shocked at how gruesome and frankly gross processing meat can be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, but I applaud all those people. They're happy they did it and they're happy they learned. And so I think that's a huge upside of this fad. I don't I don't even want to call it a fad, this cultural trend of getting closer to our meat. Cause I agree with you, Chris, I think as a society, we've gotten way too far away from our food.
2: Yeah. And that's intentional.
3: Yeah. Corporations. I sound like some kind of activist, but like corporations <laughs> really do want to keep us away from that because the more behind closed doors, like look at all those ag gag laws that made it impossible to film inside a slaughterhouse. Like they want right. to keep that away from us. And uh, well, I'm glad people are fucking that trend. I really am.
2: And I think there's a lot of hunters out there, obviously not just hound hunters, that get the backlash, like, "Oh, you're shooting these poor deer," and like, "Why don't you just go buy your meat at the store?" Yeah, yeah. Well, go. You can kill it you know, with your there's checkbook. There's a lot of things we can say about that.
1: Yeah, you can kill it yeah. with your checkbook, but you can't. You can't actually go out and hunt it.
2: Right. You know and that doesn't make it any better. You know, you're getting organic stuff if you're going to get your own deer or elk, and that light that animal lived. The best life.
3: You know, it, it's that I luckily luckily, I rarely hear that. Why don't you just go to the store? That that only comes from
1: the uh, most ignorant yeah. people on the face yeah, of the, the, the
3: planet. The the, the, the dread of anti hunting. Yeah. But luckily that, that cultural trend towards getting closer to your meat has been very pro hunting in general. So I support it fully for the most part. Yeah. I I mean I think it's been a great boon to getting people motivated to get back outdoors again.
1: I and, and I think that is the plus of it right there. Whatever we need to do to, to maybe not get more people involved in hunting, but to understand hunting at this point. You know, mm-hmm. uh, since the COVID thing, man, I've, we've said it on the podcast before, but hunting license sales are up nationally, you know, as Definitely. much as 30 to 40% across across the united states fishing license fishing tackle you know all that stuff is putting money back in the resource and supporting hunting so there is plenty of people out there that are looking for the opportunity and this isn't a new thing you know it's not like some when instagram was created all of a sudden somebody decided to eat a possum you know no no I mean, when, during the great depression and you mentioned it before, Seth, uh, people were eating to survive and on the frontier when we were settling and we finally made a full circle on some of that. I mean, obviously we're not living in the great depression or on the frontier these days, but people more are more acceptable and like you said, adventurous in eating. Somebody else ate it and they didn't die. And so we're now we're on a we,
2: new frontier, Chris. <laughs>
1: Hey, you just coined a new <laughs> new phrase—the new Being frontier. An <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: and and you know, just because we're not deciding to eat whatever animal we take doesn't mean we don't respect that animal.
3: That's very true. Too. That's a great point.
1: Well, that's what you I know? was going to ask. As a person, do you have to eat? Do you have to eat the game you kill in order to be an ethical hunter? Is that a requirement?
2: No, I think those are two separate things.
1: Expanding ethical,
2: I, being an ethical hunter does not mean you have to eat what you take. Um, you know, it's about doing it right by the law, doing it right by, let's say, it's your dogs, and you know, getting a clean shot and not harassing the animal or whatever it is. Um, I, I think. Ethics don't necessarily need to go down into eat or not eat. That's that person's choice. But also ethics do go into what do you use that animal for? Mm -hmm. What do you do with that animal? You can be an ethical hunter and go out and take care of a bunch of trash pandas for a farmer. Um, I personally don't think it's ethical or like right to have those animals waste if their fur is in prime, but that's just me. I would want to take as much fur as I could. Um,
3: what if their fur I don't is know. not? I'm just gonna play devil's advocate here, yeah. Because I wanna, I wanna voice the other side as best as I can. Yeah. So, so I, I guess
2: if, I should retract and say that you're still ethical if you do the hunting right, and and don't take the fur. Like, let's say it's out of season and the farmer contracts you to to do some uh nuisance removal.
1: Well, okay. So I think one thing that a lot of people miss the mark on is nothing is ever wasted. You
0: know, well, worms worms, worms, go. worms
1: have, worms have got to eat, too. But scavengers have to eat. That's yeah. Um, I was going to go there. <laughs> and nothing is ever wasted. So I think we put we put our own rules on you know, what we would do and should I shoot this animal or not? Should I, in your case, like your, the example you gave with raccoons, you know, if a raccoon, they, they harbor a lot of parasites, a lot of different things. They're eating traditional food that feeds masses of people. So by taking that animal off the landscape, you're, you could be doing a health, you know, a service to the, to the health of your community, um, Some things just need to be managed, but just because you shoot it and you don't use it doesn't mean that it's
3: wasted. You know, and that's always, that's looking at it through a management viewpoint. I'm going to take it a step further and say that, what if you're just out there bunny blasting in the public land, wastelands of New Mexico, where those rabbits aren't going to interact with humans ever. And you just shoot 10 and leave. Like the thing is, you know, this is where it gets kind of sticky tricky because no, those are definitely not going to waste. Something is gonna eat them. But why, why not? Like why why just leave them there? You know, as a kid, when I was growing up as a teenager, dude, we'd go out and hunt rabbits all the time with, with 22s and shotguns. Like, that's just what you did. Did we eat them all? No, you're 15. But you know. Is it wrong? Kind of, I, I think. I guess mm-hmm. what the, po- the point I'm trying to make is... I you like didn't to have point, the knowledge
2: Lauren, either at that I point like in your life. I like the point line. you
3: made, Lauren, about how if it's within the law, then you're okay. Because that's where I draw the line. Look, if you're on a... Okay, say you're here in New Mexico. you only We have three different species of deer that you can hunt. And you can only harvest one of those species one time a year. And you can only harvest one buck. Okay? Mm-hmm. So if a guy went out there if a person went out there and shot three deer and didn't eat any of them everyone would be enraged because we don't have the numbers of deer to be out there just shooting deer and even if he ate one and left two to rot, people would be insane people would go insane but say you're in virginia where there's insane amount of whitetail and you're on a a driven hunt you shoot six Say you take two home, fill your freezer all the way to the brim, and you leave four out for the scavengers. It, I don't see anything wrong with that. Like, the, 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 the population is so robust and, and so overburdened that it comes back kind of to that management aspect where you can leave those four deer lay. It's okay.
2: And I think oh where hunters kind of start.
1: You, you're just going to brown out the internet with all the hate mail we're going to get on that one.
2: I'm really hungry for deer right now, so this like, hurts me. This is but... <laughs> just my opinion,
3: of course. And that's the thing about ethics. It's it's an opinion, and that's the hard thing about tackling opinions. Well, but what like, really
2: does drive
1: ethics? I mean, is is it culturally accepted, or is it, you know, what it's is it? a little it's bit it's of a... both.
3: You know, your viewpoints are shaped by the cultural pressures around you, you know? And so, like you are saying, there may have been East Coast listeners about to, like, want to jump through the screen and rip my head off, but— from a person in my perspective, like there's so many of them. I mean, you could donate a bunch to like, for instance, when I was in Texas, the the, um, the food banks won't will not take deer and wild hogs anymore because gracious hunters do not want to waste their animals. So they take them to be donated for, um, you know, food for the hungry um, right. and, and they will not take them because it's undercutting butchers that butcher animals for a living well they're not they're butchering so many animals to be given away that they're not they're they're wasting too much time and the food banks are filled to the brim so they can't take any more anyway so there is obviously this ethical driver to supply meat to the community and help your community but at the same time there are so many deer and pigs that if you shot 50 a night and you just put them in a pit you're not it's not really the end of the world i mean that's the point I'm trying to make. It it, it depends on how you're utilizing a resource mm-hmm. is if you're wasteful or not. That's how I've always kind of viewed it. And again, I guess ethics if, are always an opinion.
2: And I guess if the resource can stand being quote-unquote wasted. Yeah.
3: You and know, that's well, the
2: thing.
1: We had, a, um, we had a situation on a local farm here where a person imported a um, a bull from another state. And Indiana has been a a tuberculosis-free state for years, I mean decades. And this guy's bull that he imported from another state tested positive for TB. Mm -hmm. And so the state, the DNR, the wildlife managers decided that they were going to depopulate the um, whitetail herd on... It was a, it was a farm that had a high concentration of whitetails as well. And so they decided to depopulate the whitetail population on this farm. And guess Without testing? We were just, they were just baiting deer and whacking them. And, um, so guess who got to do that? Mm-hmm. Yep we did because we had we had the rifles we had the you know the game wardens went out there and we stacked deer up now the political pressure on it was they would test the deer we would we would take all the deer in we would put them in coolers we'd pro you know get them down to processing which means skinned and and gutted and skinned we bring them all out of the field go put them in a cooler and we had a uh State board of health official on site that was doing TB testing before they went in the cooler, and if they didn't test positive, then the political side of it was put them in the in the there, and we'll donate them. I don't know where they went. They could have gone to Rumpke landfill for all I know. In the end, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so and- so there's some political there's some political pressures on that as well. I mean, that's why they make wanton waste laws. We're certainly not advocating wanton waste, you know, just go out and start pulling the trigger on deer and don't make an attempt to recover it or, you know, something like that. We're just having a general conversation about the ethics of eating what you kill.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And that's the
3: thing too. I need to, I think we should all be very clear on our stances because I do throw out a lot of devil's advocate stuff and I don't want anyone to think that's my actual opinion. No, You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And and, you're just talking
1: scientifically based the and that kind of comes back to the the conversation about the ethics of hunting. You know, some things just need to be managed. And people are like and that's a whole slippery slope to go down well, to
2: like Very. like wolves need to be managed, but are we gonna eat the wolf?
1: Exactly.
2: I'm not. <laughs> I'm not eating a wolf. Why not? Why not?
1: I would if I was starving, but I don't I'm not that hungry, okay?
2: The same reason I won't eat a coyote, Seth. It's just way too close to relation to my dog. Okay, okay. so So, there's an
3: emotion. There's an emotional. There it is. Yeah, because a raccoon and a coyote have an almost identical diet. So I mean, physiologically, they're both in the order Carnivora. I mean, they're very. I mean, not very closely related, but they're closely related enough. And they're both generalist omnivores. So raccoons
2: have nastier scent glands.
3: (laughs) Yeah, coyotes (laughs) don't smell very pleasant either. Both coyotes I was butchering, I was like, this thing, uh, you know, perfect example, Chris. I was like, I hate the smell of rabbit guts, like like hair guts. When I'm gutting a hair, mm-hmm. it's like it can make me gag. No joke. Like I hate it so much. Yet, why am I compelled to eat them? Now, the 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 majority of them go to my hounds, which that was another point I was going to bring up. Is it unethical? to feed them to your dogs instead of a human consuming them. So what if you took those four deer instead of leaving them lay and you took them to a rendering plant and or just... Or
2: fed them to your chickens.
3: Yeah, whatever. Threw them into a grinder, turned them into a big old log of meal, and you fed those to your hounds. Mm-hmm. I think that's an amazing way to utilize yeah. things. But I guess some people would be like, oh, you're just like, you know what I mean? It, it, is, it's a, it is a slippery slope. I, I, we feed most of the hares we catch to our dogs.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: I very rarely leave them out in the field. But I have before... And I feel the same way that you do, Chris. I mean, I'm a biologist. I know firsthand that rabbit is only going to lay there one night. Something is going to pick him up instantly, most right. likely a coyote. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I I like feeding things to your dogs. I think that's a luckily we have carnivores as pets so that they'll I mean, shh. one time I had a hunter shoot a javelina in the stomach with a 308 and uh, obviously that meat was tainted <laughs> with some un, un unpalatable Unsavory things. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just threw the whole rib cage over the fence to my dogs. They love me. You know what I mean? They were like, Right. So, right. I, and the hunter was totally happy with that. He thought you that know, was for, a great way to utilize
1: it. For me, you know, I'll tell you when I stopped eating raccoons and my son was with me, we were skinning this raccoon and I peeled the hide off of it. And it was so infested with roundworm that it looked like threads coming out of the muscle every oh, i mean God. i mean like a oh. ball of thread
2: why do you gotta, gotta tell me this but mm-hmm. gosh. well
1: you know i haven't that, seen it yet at that point and i it's not like i was dining on raccoon every other night but i i had eaten plenty of raccoons and then i thought you know what i know how to do this if it ever came down to it, and I needed to needed to prepare this animal or any other animal for food, I can. But at this point, no thanks. Pass the beef. <laughs> you know, I'll put some bearded butcher's seasoning on a on a steak and call it good.
3: You know, Lauren, that raccoon you ate—I can guarantee you it had trichinosis. Guaranteed. That trichinosis is a kind of roundworm, and. I, they are legendary for trichinosis. Any carnivore is mountain lions, like bears, yeah, bears, wild hogs. Not as, you know, that's hilarious. Is that wild hogs are the like standard bearer for trichinosis, but they have it less than bears, raccoons, coyotes, and mountain lions. So yeah, Chris, when you say the roundworms, I when I when I cooked the coyote, and this was just out of principle, I just wanted to give it a shot. But I was just thinking the whole time, I was like, I am going to put this thing inside a nuclear reactor to cook it until (laughs) it's essentially jerky. (laughs) And I'm going to cut it razor thin with a deli slicer so that uh, it's edible. And I made pastrami out of it and it was okay. It was pretty good. Oh, well, okay. It was okay. (laughs) But yeah. It,
2: It didn't help that like the next time I cooked the raccoon was when I had COVID like, or right before I had COVID And so I had some like leftover in the refrigerator that I was going to make into like a barbecue, like pulled raccoon pulled pork sandwich. And then like the nausea hit from the COVID and I Mm. had that for like two or three days. (laughs) And I was like, like even looking at it in the fridge, like made me want to barf. So I like threw it out. And honestly, like now it's kind of unpalatable to me. Like it just, Uh, that just flipped my switch.
1: You know, Uh, will
2: I still cook it for the dogs? Yeah. If someone wants to try it, will I cook it for them? Yeah. But am I going to go out of my way to, to make it again for myself? No.
1: Interesting. And, yeah. you know, when there's certain animals, uh, and again, it goes back to that emotional barrier, the cultural barrier, you know, um, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, when we're trapping, if we're doing um, like a muskrat pond and you're, harvesting some muskrats muskrats great to eat it's awesome beaver is great to eat i love eating beaver um and it's it's all good but man it's just something about the only time i'm gonna eat another raccoon or a possum is gonna be if i have to Mm
3: you know and wolves are and
1: wolves and canines are off the table i'm not eating them
2: (laughs) And okay, now is is it the same reason that I had?
3: Like they're just too close to your pet dogs, or you just yeah, no way? Yeah. Who me? Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah you. Chris. Oh well, no, it's just because they're they're rangy and they're you know they make they make a living off of running and.
2: They're rangy. Okay. Yeah, they're
1: just they're just uh, nasty.
2: They're not beavers that are eating trees and leaves and stuff.
1: No, those are completely omnivorous, and and they're, you know, they're. It's a fairly clean
3: meat. So, like, people won't eat barbary sheep. They, they call them awdad in Texas, and this is a classic example of like people being the smell of an animal doesn't necessarily carry into the meat, because that's another aspect we still haven't touched on is. Some animals taste bad. And I'm going to just say it because I've eaten a lot of crazy things. Coyote, the one, one coyote I ate was a female. It was okay. Again, okay. The other one was a male. It smelled terrible huh. on the outside, and its meat also had that musky smell. And it was awful. So the point is, like, Barbary sheep, the males, have this incredibly powerful musky smell. And people, when you cook it, sometimes if you do a poor job processing the animal and you can get that oily musk on the meat, it will carry into the smell of the meat. And, of course, we get a lot of our taste from our smell. You taste that awful smell. And so people get a really bad, you know, taste in their mouth, quote-unquote, and that's it. They're done the with the whole Arbery sensory
2: forever. experience, just Yeah, is... and so, like—
3: but. Uh, some animals are gnarly. So it's like that gets into the weird ethical thing of like, why are we harvesting monsters rams if they smell terrible and they right. may taste bad? Well, it's like.
2: But that hunt always. is incredible. But though it takes a lot of skill to actually hunt those animals, too. Right. Uh, so, so, of
1: course. Yeah. Right. But why do they hunt all dad in Texas or Barbary sheep in New Mexico? Why do you hunt them? What's the What's the main purpose that you hunt those animals?
3: So it de- really depends on where you are, but in general, it's just they were an imported game animal; they were imported for hunting.
1: Mm-hmm. So and
3: they've usurped a lot of bighorn habitat that some areas want to remove them to make way for bighorn. But there you go. Are, yeah. Yes. So, but some are a management goal for sure. Okay. And I'll never. I'll never. um, Just because an animal is a management animal doesn't mean it's okay to quote unquote like waste all the meat. I think nobody here is advocating that. But at the same time, it it gets kind of down into that exactly the point you're making. That kind of like nitty gritty of like you can hunt them because that's what they are here for. And also, in some areas, the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish wants to thin their population down or extirpate them locally
1: because they are they are they are putting pressure on the carrying capacity in that habitat for other wildlife species. And I think that we as hunters miss the mark on that message. You know, we get cornered and trapped and it's like, are you going to eat that? No, I'm not going to eat that. Well, why'd you kill it? And then automatically we go to, well, you know, something's going to eat it. So it's okay. Instead of having the conversation and saying, you know, because it's a management practice that needs to happen. If I don't kill this raccoon, then they become overpopulated and they affect disease. others. Yeah, yeah. They, disease that that transmits to other animals, you know, everything from uh, uh, parasites to distemper to all kinds of things that, that can affect other wildlife. So some some things are managed just for the sake of preserving other animals that have have the need to be on the landscape too. And I think we miss that as hunters. And you can say the same thing about predators especially is the reason we hunt predators is because they have to be managed.
2: And then you can also go a step further too and talk about how our hunting, you know, boosts the economy and the conservation of, you know, the the, the entire area. You know, buying those argument I think. Definitely. Yep, buying those tags, you know, the the bullets, the guns, the you know, all the little accessories that you need to hunt.
3: The the, the 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 money generated hunting an individual of a species benefits the population as a whole. And that has a hard time for people to understand. Yes. And 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 that's the okay, you could Here's something I also don't want hunters to back away from, and this is something that we need to be eloquent as possible about saying and understanding this, but there are people that will never understand this, and we'll just have to be reasonable and be civil, but you can't say that about a jackrabbit. They have no management goal, and they don't really have any impact, for the most part, on humanity anyway, but hunting is fun, and that's something that people need to... like. Like, we need to rationalize and and, and speak eloquently about because coursing is a blast. Mm -hmm. Watching the interaction between hound and hare is extremely fun. I'm not hunting primarily for the meat. I'm not hunting primarily to manage rangeland and manage rabbit populations. No, I'm hunting because coursing is fun. And so, and you get to hone
2: your skill. Your dogs get to hone that skill.
3: Yeah, but I mean, even if they weren't, the, the point is, is like, like, well, they okay. have to in
2: order to hunt to make it fun. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but, I yeah. can't even had them.
3: You know what I mean? Like the the, it's okay to to to. We need to also, as a community, stand up for ourselves in a like I said, in a tactful way. There's you could be very rude about this point, so I want to okay. make that very clear.
2: Eagle fun. Let's put it that way. Like we're not advocating for going out just to have fun and poach a bunch of crap. Well,
3: but I'm not poaching. That's again. <laughs> no, that's, that's right. No,
2: that's what I'm saying.
3: I'm following the law. And also, again, it kind of comes back to, you'll find nobody in this world that respects and loves hares more than me. And I put a lot of my own time and money into the Pittman-Robertson Act and other ways with the goal in mind of protecting the habitat that those hares live on because that benefits me, but it also benefits our pronghorn hunters. It benefits our cattle ranchers. It benefits people that just want to recreate out there and see beautiful prairie. Everybody wins. Yeah, and that's an important way to talk. That's about it. right.
1: You know, even if if mom and dad want to load the kids up and and take the wildlife loop to go look at stuff that elk, that antelope, that deer, that raccoon, whatever their wildlife they see, has a cultural value at that point, and us hunting adds to that, the management of that that land and and those animals that even non consumptive users are enjoying. And I don't think we need to be ashamed of that. We should be prepared to be able to to transmit that message in a way that is informative and tactful and all that stuff. You know what I mean?
3: Definitely. And also, I wanted to, you know, also talk about how hmm, it's a really, it's it's tough. I guess um, I want to ask you one thing, Chris, before we get too lost. But what do you think is the right thing to do with raccoons? In general, I wanted to ask you this a while ago, and we'll get back to where we were going. But what do you think is the right thing to do with a harvested raccoon? Well, at this at this point,
2: in season?
3: um, Yeah, I'm not sure how the like seasons work in Indiana, but um, okay. So it,
1: a quick breakdown of the seasons is um, November 8th to January 31st is the taking season, and then our our chase season goes from february 1st to october 25th where you're not allowed to uh you're not allowed to to take animals during the chase season however nuisance wildlife and raccoons are listed as nuisance wildlife can be taken at any time of the year with written permission from the landowner so obviously in july uh, july then then the fur's not prime and i've already said that i'm not going to eat it so if i'm out there doing a uh, a service for the local farmer or a landowner somebody that you know says hey come and come and take some of these raccoons or eating the cat food off my my porch i don't feel compelled that i need to eat those you know or i need to i'm not definitely not going to skin them and in the state of the fur market right now what is the point of skinning them you know, mm-hmm. it,
2: well, what I did last year, I tanned all mine. Mm-hmm. Um, a because I wanted some wall decor. <laughs> uh, there were some special raccoons there. Sorry, tangent to interrupt. Um, and then I, I don't have personally anything made yet out of raccoon, so I'm saving a bunch of them because I want things made.
1: Well, it's not like I'm, you know, I'm going to skin enough raccoons to to revert back to the 1950s of the college student and wear a raccoon coat. You know, it's, it's probably not going to happen. So that is a question that I find myself killing a lot fewer raccoons these days than I did 20 years ago. And that leads to a whole nother, a whole problem in and of itself. You know, now I'm not taking them because I feel that pressure too. It's like, you know, what's the sense of killing that? But
2: I'm not taking them because I still want to hunt them.
1: Well, but if you want to keep, I'll say this, if you want to keep hunting them, then you need to take a few more because if you don't, then they'll manage themselves. And this is something that Jim Williams in his book, Path of the Puma, kind of made up, he was talking about mountain lions, but you know, predators as a whole, if, if something happened to all the people on the face of the earth, this stuff's going to work itself out. You know, wildlife's not going to go. If if everybody was just raptured off the face of the earth at one time, everybody's gone. You know, it's going to take care of itself. However, that's not the case. So a lot of times the hunting and the regulation of this hunting is not only done for the health and well-being of the animal, but it's also done for the cultural acceptance level of how many animals you can have in a certain area and how it's going to conflict. Most of our work and most of the calls that, that I would get, especially in the springtime were about nuisance animals nuisance mm-hmm. wildlife so you know for me personally based on my experience and things like that you know i don't lose a whole lot of sleep if if a farmer or has got real damage and he needs me to to take raccoons i don't go in there and slaughter everything uh all the animals on that place because like you lauren you got to be i am a conservationist. But I also understand that that some of the animals need to be removed, so that other stuff can thrive.
3: Mm-hmm. And and that point you were saying about how um, the cultural acceptance level of an animal on the landscape—that kind of went back to our last episode when we were talking about wolves, or two episodes ago when we were talking about wolves. You know, like how many raccoons are culturally mm-hmm. acceptable to be on the landscape. And and another point that you were pointing about in the path of the puma analogy you're making, which I thought was really. A good point is when people – a lot of people will be like, well, why do you have to manage raccoons? Why don't you just leave them alone and let nature take its course? And I'm like, listen, this is what I say, and this is from a person who is in this field. There is no such thing – I'm going to say it again. I said it on a prior podcast. I'm going to say it again. There is no such thing as a world where humans don't play all the important roles. We are the dominant animal on this life and are in this world, and we have altered every habitat on the planet to fit our needs and other animals just cohabitate that world. And so humans have a massive responsibility to manage animal populations to the way we see fit. And that's a really hard pill to swallow for some people because we live here, no no one is gonna, you're never gonna give up your house because this was once raccoon habitat. Like if a bunch of people were like, hey, raccoons lived here first, you need to give up your house because this is raccoons place. You'd be like, nope. Those raccoons are going down. So we're gonna manage the raccoon population to make sure there's not so many raccoons that they can't storm my house and overtake it. You know what I mean? Like And make sure that
2: you know our pets and our farm animals and everything stay healthy too.
3: Yeah, so that's like a it was kind of a silly like tangent, but the point is is that humans, we are an integral part of the landscape and we always have a need and a right to manage the animals around us to the way that as a society we see fit and that is the point of wildlife professionals as well as a democratic society shaping voting and pressuring for these norm shifts and these ethical view shifts because obviously things that our ancestors did we find egregious and things that our ancestors did we find admirable but it's like up to us and that's the beauty of living in a place like america is that like what someone in virginia may find egregious people in new mexico might find completely normal And, you know, our wildlife values and and professions can professionals can shape our law on those views. Obviously, California has a different wildlife view than Idaho does. Right. And like it or not. I mean, that's just how it is. And I think it's pretty great overall. I guess. Yeah. Humans. So manage wildlife. So after all the
1: conversation, you know, we've had about and this is about eating. I still think that that people just need to be prepared to be able to justify why they hunt at a higher level than I'm going to eat it. And I think that's where we, that's an important, important role, you know, don't get me wrong. And I'm not knocking anybody that, that, um, you know, wants to eat a raccoon, just make sure you cook it properly and don't get trichinosis. Cause once you get that, you've, you've got it for life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um,
2: so, how do you know if you have it?
1: Go get tested. Yeah, most people
3: don't. actually.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I cooked them enough. <laughs> but you know the,
1: the big the big picture is the, the main thing that I wanted to accomplish with the podcast was just having that conversation to prepare people, to be able to talk at a, at a in a wider range on you know why we hunt it's It's not always to eat. And it's okay. And, and that's
2: Yeah. And that's honestly like the first question that I get asked, whether I say, you know, I hunt bear, I hunt raccoon, I'm going to go hunt mountain lion, whatever it is. They're like, why? Yes. <laughs> and uh, we've got to be, yeah, there's, I mean, there's multiple facets on, on why each of us do it and not everyone's the same, Um, but yeah.
1: Right, and I don't think think, there's anything wrong with saying I think it's fun. I enjoy hunting.
3: Take a person out there and show them. I've taken people that are on the fence about hunting, taken them out there with my hounds. By the end of it, every person either is A, this is awesome, and I want to come out with you more, Mm -hmm. or is B, I see what you mean. There's a lot deeper of a level to it than I originally thought. I thought it was people out here just being bloodthirsty, and no, there's so much more to that. And and I'm like, yeah, I really respect someone that can say that, you know, that is like, hey, this is still isn't for me, but I get the dogs, the land, the game, the quarry, everything about it. I, I get it. It's a lot deeper than you think. And we're not saying, we're not advocating, well, um, we're not saying that every listener in the world has to be this like, you know, hardcore hunter advocacy, like champion. But I definitely think, I, I think we speak for all of us here that I speak for all of us that I want all the listeners to just have these thoughts in your brain so that you can present our best foot forward as a community to the wider world. Right. and You know, and that I you think-
1: bring up, you bring up an interesting point right there, Seth. You, know, you take that person out there, you're never going to convince them in an argument on Facebook, you know, you're never going to convince yeah. that person, but if never. you can take them out there, it all goes back to relationships. It all goes back to, that episode we did about leadership and we've got another one coming up about leadership, but that's your role right there as a hunter. If you're is to demonstrate leadership ability and be willing to take that person, because once you build that relationship and you've got that person either in your buggy or your truck or you're walking to a tree or, you know, they're going to have a million questions and that's your opportunity to converse with them. You know, Definitely. nobody's nearly as brazen when they're sitting there looking at somebody as they are on the keyboard. Um, so that's your opportunity right there, and w- we can we can capitalize on that by by being able to have these conversations in a civil way.
2: Mm-hmm. And we don't need to go in saying I'm going to turn this person into a hound hunter. Like this no. is the goal. Like I want no, them to be never right. I'm just get them to understand and see it from our our perspective. We just don't yeah.
1: need anybody else voting against us, really. I mean, that's really what it boils right. down to that, at
3: this yeah, point. Yeah, right. The best weapon, I, I, I guess weapon is even or a little even bit neutral. too harsh. The, the, best, the best tool in our arsenal is to just show how much the dogs love it and how much we love our hounds and yes. how much we love the game. People think that we hate what we hunt. And I'm like, dude, I got a statue of a jackrabbit out of my house. It's like three feet tall. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Those, they're like my favorite animal. Is it a wood carve? Wood
1: carve? Huh? Is it a no? It's, it's, it's chainsaw carve it now.
3: Oh, okay. I'm working on it now. It's a chiminea, so it's like a little, um, like a little fireplace, and it looks like a rabbit sitting, and then the smoke comes out of its ears. So, like, yeah, we're working. No on it now. way. So it's gonna be at my Oh new my house. gosh. So That's... anyway, yeah, I'm freaking obsessed with jackrabbits, and also I'm obsessed with dogs. So it's only natural that I'm doing this thing. And I also was not really that into jackrabbits until I started seeing how amazing they are as a running machine. But anyway, that's that's the point. You get to explain to these people how much we admire the whole thing that is hunting. It's not just treeing a bear. It's not just catching a jackrabbit. It's being out with your friends. It's, it's, it's enjoying the nature, enjoying all these aspects, the history, the, the, the uh, companion between human and canine, this, this deep bond that we share with the wild world, with each other, interpersonal relationships. I don't know. I'm gushing. I'm getting I've got a tear in my eye, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, no, seriously. I mean, I've never,
1: I've never had somebody walk away from a conversation. Uh, if I took the time and I was, was, um, going to explain in a civil way, you know, it's like, do you eat a raccoon? No. Why, why, why don't you eat them? And then I go through the whole thing. This is why they carry disease. It's good for them to disappear. You know, most people sit there and they look at you and like, yeah, you're right. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's, and it's all cool from that, that point forward. But, and I applaud every person out there that is, being a foodie you know good for you guys <laughs> i am happy I for you i love to cook i fix all kinds of stuff my family always checks i fixed deer heart a couple of weeks ago and some shish kebab stuff uh, my family had no idea what it was and they ate it and not until afterward they you know told what it was and it's not like they're lining up for the next one but they enjoyed it at the time but they're again it's that emotional block that that they started mm-hmm. thinking about it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think it's all good and I just think we we kinda if you want to eat a raccoon, Lauren, you eat raccoons.
2: I'm good for now. But... <laughs> and if you want to are... eat coyotes,
3: <laughs> eat coyotes, Seth. No, nah, I don't really want to. I just wanted to see what it was all about. <laughs> sure.
1: Sure. So <laughs> yeah. so what are what are
2: other people eating? Have we gotten um comments on that? You know it, what they're eating and why?
1: You know, mountain lion is, is pretty much a, I mean, I knew what to expect on that one. People like to eat mountain lions. You know, it's uh, people that have had it enjoy it. and it's like pork. Yeah. And I've eaten it. It's very good. Even ground some up and turn them into, uh, you know, brats and things like that. Wonderful. No problem. Um, but I do know some people that, that don't eat them because they not the smell repulses them. It's like, eh, I hate. And a couple of those people are professional guides, so they have to they have to deal with that quite a bit. And it's just like, eh, I'll eat a beefsteak. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'll, eat, I'll eat a pork chop. It's okay.
3: And that kind of comes down to the novelty factor, too. If you kill one elk sure. a year, I feel like everyone would be pretty upset if someone didn't eat that one elk. Mm-hmm. But if you're you're catching, like, 500 coons a year, I'm not really expecting someone to eat that many. You know right. what I mean? Right. So, yeah, I get it. I get yep. it. There's a lot
1: of I use. I don't know
2: who has the time to process that much raccoon. Holy moly.
1: There's so many other <laughs> things you can do with raccoons that I think you can get past it. You know, uh, we talked about everything coming back full circle. You can process the fat on a raccoon and make oil lamps you know, uh, render the fat, they make wonderful oil lamps. And during the frontier oh, days, cool. frontier days, you can actually, uh, got a friend of mine that's a copper Smith and he would make little oil lamps and he would want the raccoon oil to sell with his lamps at black powder events and makes a wonderful, makes a wonderful little lighting device in camp.
3: That would be really
1: so you like can't a just
2: practical like- way. <laughs> You can't just stick a wick in like a chunk of fat and light it. You have to, <laughs> I don't know anything about that. There is some
3: work you have to do to it first. You okay. render it down.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah but it's a yeah. little too rancid and a and, uh, uh, little too sooty <laughs> for, in, for inside use when you're just sticking the wick in the fat.
3: Why does your house yeah. smell like corn in a dumpster? Yeah. <laughs> like- yeah. <laughs> Hey, yes. I got a question. This is tangential, but I I was kind of when I said that I didn't know obviously what I'm talking about. But hey, you two, what is a good quota a year for a raccoon? Say it's a boom year for raccoons. There's just they're overflowing. Every dumpster's got a whole litter in it. What is a good year of raccoons for a good coon dog? What what would you I mean, feel like, Chris? How
2: hard how how hard you're hunting and are you going for prime fur or are you hunting right at the beginning of the season when they're not quite prime and they're still blue?
3: Okay. Break it down to me. Cause I don't know any <laughs> of this stuff. So like, what, what would you say? I treat X amount of coons this year. What would be like a re- realistic, like if someone's like, I treat a thousand coons, you'd be like, no, that's not true. Or is it? I don't know. What is a good year?
2: There's, I don't know. I don't I know. Like last this. year it was just me and Piper and we treat just in season, not just not, chasing season and actual hunting season and we didn't hunt early right in the beginning of the season either we treed probably over 50 coon because i took about half of them what uh, do you think
3: chris
1: i i actually journaled uh jazz's first year that she hunted and um she treed her first raccoon at four months old so in eight months i treed 120 <laughs> 120 some around 120 wow. raccoons and um about rim my dog doing it that's a whole other story but um you know it's it's pretty easy if you're in if you, it depends on where you live too you know if you so live what, some what, if you live somewhere where the raccoon population is thinner then if you tree 25 a year then that's a pretty good year and if you live yeah, I,
2: I'm happy with one a night you know, whether I'm going out three nights a week or one night a week, you know, I'm going to try for more. But like the other night I went out and are you talking about just
1: shooting shooting one a night? I'm seeing, seeing one a night, seeing one a night. Yeah. that yeah. I
2: mean, that's really what I care about is seeing them, not necessarily shooting them. Yeah. I and shot I was just, a couple this year.
1: Yeah. I was basing on, you know, walking to the tree, looking up and seeing a raccoon yeah. in it.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I was just I mean, curious
3: what like a good year because obviously I meant like if the population was thick. So pretend you could take the population out of it. Yeah, if would you, you if expect? you
1: if you had if you had one hundred percent ability, free reign to hunt anywhere you turned a dog loose or anywhere your dog treed, then you know, and you wanted to shoot every raccoon that you treat in a year with a good coon dog in southeast Indiana, you know, it wouldn't be unusual to hit the two to three hundred three hundred coon <sighs> mark a year um but obviously there's too many limitations on that you know mm-hmm. places that have those grotesque numbers of raccoons you know you go to an apartment Let complex you yeah you go to the apartment complex in the suburbs of cincinnati where are you gonna hunt you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. coons coons know they know like you go around Versailles State Park, which is right out here not too far away from my house, uh, during they know when Memorial Day comes and they know when they start smelling the the marshmallows on the campfires in that campground, and they'll just infiltrate the place, and you can't tree a raccoon you know three miles away from the park because everything's moved to the park. And then you mm. think, you think, yeah, I'll go up there and I'll, I'll hunt there. Uh, well, Brookville Reservoir, you can't hunt in the state park, but you go to Brookville Reservoir and they've got recreational camp areas. Same thing. Raccoons infiltrate the place and you go in there and hunt during the season and they disperse. Boom, back out. You know, back out to the acorns and the fall woods and, and stuff
3: like that. What so, a great service you're doing to campers. <laughs> yeah. By dispersing yeah. those little dudes. Yeah. That, that's a funny thing because hares are the same way. I mean, we always joke. You can't even, they're so hard to find on the prairie. But if you go anywhere near people's homes, agriculture or brush country, you just see them everywhere. And we're always like, ah, they know. (laughs) Yeah. So, but.
1: Well, I think we, I think we uh, accomplished what we wanted to accomplish with this podcast and getting down in the, the deep weeds about why we eat. And I think it's, and why we don't eat. I think it's emotional. I think some of it is um, cultural. I think some of it is a little bit of a fad. Um, And just like every other fad, it's like fashion. You know, it it comes back around. And my grandmother, great-grandmother, I guarantee you, I know that they ate possums. You know, my great-grandfather was a hunter, and if he brought a possum home during the Depression, it went in the pot. But at the stage we're at right now in our culture, we've kind of we've we've lost a lot of that. We've got a long way away from the farm. A lot of people don't know where their food comes from. So now it's time to kick that idea back in gear and we've got a lot of work to do as as hunters to re educate an uneducated public.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, not necessarily farm to table, but field to table. Right. If, I mean, yeah, I mean, yep. there's no raccoons coming to my table anytime soon. Maybe the dog's bowls. I hear you. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: You got any final
3: thoughts, Seth? Wrap I it up. I think we covered a lot of everything we wanted. I, I just wanted to uh accentuate. No, I want to
2: know something.
3: Okay, go for
2: it. What What is one thing you want to try that's kind of taboo that you haven't yet? Hmm. This is for both of you, I guess.
3: Hmm. I guess, hmm. Man, that's a good question. Have you eaten kangaroo,
2: like actual kangaroo?
3: I have not. I've eaten their rat brethren. (laughs) (laughs) No, but,
2: you know, that's
3: a great question. I've never thought, because I've tried everything in New Mexico that I can get my little grubby paws on. But I've thought of animals that I don't want to eat, but I've never thought of one that's kind of weird that I do. Hmm. I would say that something I don't ever want to eat is any kind of primate. I have no interest in eating any kind of monkey, ever. Hmm.
2: Copy that.
3: Uh, just too creepy, too too human-like. No, I'm I'm good. Then um, look too
1: much like folks.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, anyway. Hmm. I'm gonna answer that quickly. I think I think I'd like to. Well, they're not taboo though. I was going to say sharks would be kind of cool. I've never eaten a shark, but they're not taboo. Tons of people eat shark. Right. Hmm. Yeah, but... I'll get to that. How about this? I will answer this on the Facebook page because I can't think of one right now, and I don't want to waste our listeners' time. That's a good question. I will answer that on the Facebook group, and maybe we can have a thread for other people.
2: M- mine is snake. I've never had. Oh, you never snake
3: had
1: snake? Too.
2: Yeah. No. No. I mean, it's Very not funny. like I live in snake country anyway, like, and I'm not going to eat like right. a garter snake. <laughs> Spaghetti. Yeah. And do all snakes, like, smell really gross on the um, outside? No,
3: not all do, okay. but they, they they musk. Some species musk when they're um, under attack, okay. and others just bite you, and then you die. So that's
1: the kind I have. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, Chris, do you have an answer?
3: I was sitting here
1: thinking about the answer, and it's probably more romantic than anything. There's no real reason for it. Um, but when... I was a kid, Willie Nelson starred in a movie that Seth's probably never seen called Barbarossa. And uh, he was shooting shooting armadillos and calling them possum on the half shell. And he was shooting <laughs> them shooting to eat. So I always thought, you know, one of these days I'm going to try, maybe try to eat a, try it. I'm not saying I'm, you know, Put I'm some sure.
2: braids in your hair and a bandana on and eat some <laughs> possum on the half shell. <laughs> yeah.
1: Pass the bowl I, I- around.
3: I gotta. This is my final thought. And I'll never get stoned with
1: Willie again.
3: You ever heard I've, that song? Again, I don't know why you keep asking me pop culture references. I was not talking to you. I was talking to Lauren.
2: <laughs> oh, I didn't even. I, I, you were talking over each other, and I, the answer is probably no. Like, let's be honest. I'll never
1: get stoned with Willie again. You've never heard that song? No. It's a Toby Keith song.
2: Although but, maybe I. I don't know.
3: Yeah. Anyway. Anyway.
2: Okay, Seth, we're listening.
3: Okay, this is to all my. This is okay. So I was in Walmart once, and there's a like a, a cultural group of Hispanic people called cholos. Okay. And that's just kind of like your like old school low rider culture. Well, a female cholo is called a chola. Okay. For whatever reason, cholas love me. And I was in Walmart, and there was a chola that had a tattoo from her hand to her elbow in that calligraphy writing. And it said armadillo oh. on it, on her arm. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I have no idea what that means. Lauren, you speak Spanish, but it's, I know it. it are I know you sure it was it
2: armadillo, armadillo no, not armorillo?
3: It was 100% armadillo. I will bring my wife in here right now as proof. Why
2: are you asking and, me about Chola no, culture? is listen. listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm thinking I'm a gringa. I think,
3: maybe she's subliminally trying to tell us she has leprosy because armadillos carry leprosy. And she's just being Okay, armadillos are out. No (laughs) more armadillos for me. (laughs) Yeah, they definitely have leprosy, so be careful. I had no
2: clue. Have you seen their skin?
3: (laughs) Yeah, he lives on their shell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, careful when you eat armadillos. I wonder if Barbarossa
1: has leprosy now. He probably got leprosy. There you go.
3: That's why he had a beard.
2: Hide that leper face.
3: Yep. Yep. Hey, I want to go back one more thing. Actually, I do have one more comment. I want to make a correction to something that we had said in a prior podcast, Lauren. Me and you were once talking about what happens if oil catches on fire.
1: So, and yes. you know, you already made that correction earlier.
3: Oh, I oh, I don't oh, think I Seth knew
2: it. we were recording, and I, I didn't
3: I know didn't either. Think
1: we were
2: recording. Oh yeah, my bad. He's, he's oh. been pushing that record button, and we don't even know.
3: I know. <laughs>
1: <He> we <laughs> he just trade into it. Us. Well, I started what, off. I started off with the. Uh, The correction on pressure, and then we went into oil fires, and now we're going to discuss uh, long-term mental health for Seth and memory retention.
3: No, no. (laughs) We're going to talk about trust issues with Chris hitting the
2: record button without telling us. (laughs) I think Uh, we need to do some trust fall exercises pretty soon here. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, let's sign this thing off. Hey, until next time. You follow your hounds, I'll follow mine.